and it's an extra early morning for me today because I want to get up and go wakeboarding. This is the plan. We are well and truly into springtime now, uh, and I checked my weather report today. It's going to be 27 Celsius. Celsius? Yeah. It's early as well. It's early, and I've only had a small amount of coffee. Try that again. It's going to be 27 Celsius today, which looks really, really nice. And the sun is just coming up. It is 5.49 in the morning here at the moment, but it does look kind of epic. All right, sponsors first. Sponsor, 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 1Password. Everybody knows who 1Password is. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago as well, we now have a new series out called Hello CISO. Episode 1 just dropped the other day. Free, proper free, like on YouTube. Don't have to hand over your personal details, things like that. There are many more episodes to come. Just yesterday, I spent a bunch of time in this odd-looking room at the moment. It's a little, you can't really see it on the camera, but basically I've got new curtains in. I don't mean to go off topic on one pass. We'll come back to <laughs> new curtains in. But there's like bits of the wall that are painted waiting for other things to go in. And then as I started doing all this, I've changed my mind and I want to actually do something different, which I think is going to be super, super, super cool. I'm going to talk about what that is at the moment because I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like, but it will happen. I'm busy. I'll get around to it. One password. So, hello, CISO. Uh, I actually recorded a couple more episodes just yesterday. We will have more dropping very, very soon. So I hope everyone is enjoying those. I think there's some really, really cool topics in there, certainly some things that are near and dear to my heart. I find myself often when I do training material like that, Harking back to my days in a corporate environment, my painful, painful days, uh, particularly, oh, actually, I won't tell you what's coming up, but there are just lots of things in there. It's just like, yep, been there. I know that problem. I know that pain. Look at the comments. G'day, Burton. Thanks for joining, mate. Thank you for the uh, awesomeness comment on the blog post as well. I'm going to talk about the blog post later on. I do need to make sure that I keep this to about half an hour so that I can go and get all of my wakeboards and things ready to go and um, to go and have a little boating adventure with uh, with Charlotte and friends. Uh, now, Bert, you said happy fifth anniversary. I checked this this morning. Burton told me, and I believed him, <laughs> that it's five years since I started doing these videos. And just before I did this video, I checked, and I believe that video number one was the 23rd of September 2016. So I have made a note for two weeks from today, mate, to, to try and do something uh, a, a little bit more celebratory. A lot has happened in five years. It's been a wild, wild five years. Mikhail says, oh my God, how can Burton always be the first one? Here's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Burton can answer that. Mitch is in Ottawa. G'day, uh, Mitch. I hope, uh, hope Ottawa is nice today. I haven't been to Ottawa yet. Um, I've been to several other places in Canada, but yeah, maybe one day. All right, I'm, uh, I'm going to jump into it. Air tags. So I don't actually have an air tag with me here, but I think everyone knows what an air tag looks like. Uh, and I've, I've found a couple of interesting things with air tags recently. Now, first of all, I rolled from tile to air tag. And I had tile for many, many years. They went all the way around the world with me. They were, at the time, I'm going to use this caveat, at the time, <laughs> quite, uh, quite cool. It's like, wow, you can have this tiny little battery-powered tracking device, small enough to clip on your key ring, or they had one that you could slide into your wallet as well. Uh, and they were, they were Bluetooth, and anyone running the tile app becomes like a beacon for the tile. 
So the theory is, Azuzia, let's say your luggage gets lost on the other side of the world. Uh, someone on the other side of the world is running the tile app on their device and it sees the tile. And if you're trying to find out where your tile is, then it through all sorts of, I imagine, cryptographic solutions to ensure privacy and anonymity, it can tell you where your tile is. Good theory. Practice I always found with the tiles was was varying levels of crap. Uh, now, most likely scenario that I had when I actually needed to use my tiles is where did I leave my wallet or where did I leave my keys? They're somewhere in the house. I just don't know where. And I found that consistently when I actually tried to tried to pick up my device and go, okay, where, you know, I'd go, hey, the name I can't repeat, although she starts listening, where's my keys? And she wouldn't be able to find them. And they'd be somewhere like really, really close by as well, like within Bluetooth range. I just found that very, very flaky. And I think thinking about the value proposition of having multiple other devices out there becoming beacons, the dependency on having people run this very particular app, which really was only in use if they went out and spent money buying the actual tile products as well. It'd be interesting to see what the adoption rate <coughs> of tiles ultimately was, but I imagine it is some single digit percentage of all the devices out there were running the tile app. AirTag's value proposition, better in several ways. Uh, so number one, everyone who has, I, I imagine, a recent enough iPhone, I'm not sure how far it goes back, becomes a beacon, as opposed to just everybody who installs a third-party app, which they only got because they've gone out and physically bought a product, such as a tile, uh, being a beacon. So much better coverage there. Uh, second thing is, and what was really cool about this, and Apple shows this in their product demos, is after the device is located, it can point you to where it is in your house. Now, if it's on the other side of the world, it's just going to show you on a map. But if it's in your house, it'll go, hey, it's five meters that way. And there's literally an arrow that points towards it. And if you go the wrong way, the arrow goes the other way. And as you get closer, the distance reduces on the display on the phone. And that is super, super cool. The, the Apple product demo actually has uh, has an example. It's And it's a, it's a characterization. But a dude's like lost his keys down the back of the couch and then he dives down the back of the couch and he's swimming around the back of the couch because we all know how much shit we've got in the back of our couch. So that that's the sort of a really good example of where it makes sense. You can't necessarily always clearly hear it. So I, uh, I think I've had like one occasion since I got the tile where I've lost <laughs> whatever it is that the tile was attached to. I think it was my wallet at the time. Um, the tile... Did I say tile? Air tag. <laughs> the, the air tag is just one device, which is like a round disc. And it's, it's fat. It is fatter than the credit card insert that I had in my wallet uh, for, the, for the tile. But it's still workable. Uh, and obviously, it's just a different shape. It doesn't take up like the entire size of a credit card. It's smaller, but then it's thicker. Anyway, it seems to work well. I tweeted the other day something that was pretty cool, which is the privacy controls on the tile to try and avoid stalkers. And, and this is an interesting paradox. Let me find what I tweeted just here. The paradox is you've got this very small device that you can secrete somewhere. Let's say secrete in a handbag. I don't have a handbag, but hypothetically secrete in a handbag. Um, what is to stop? I'll put my evil stalker hacker, uh, stalker hacker hat, stalker hat on. What is to stop me from taking the tile and putting it in the handbag 
of probably a woman that I want to stalk, hypothetically. This is a problem because you also then say, okay, well, you know, we, we need some way of, of notifying the person that the thing is following them around. But then it's like, okay, well, what if I want to put a tile on my bicycle and I want to hide it somewhere on my bicycle such that if someone steals my bicycle, I can track it. In both scenarios, and, and the funny thing here is we come back to the moral neutrality of technology again. It's a little bit like the argument of you can use encryption to secure your credit cards, you can use encryption to talk about nasty things that we don't want happening. So how do we handle this scenario? So the tile solution was they don't have one. So there was no solution for tile. The AirTag solution, I tweeted this the other day because Charlotte and I are out uh, two days ago. We, we had a, a long walk. And, and very often I don't have like my full set of keys and my wallet on me because these days I pay for everything on my phone. I just have like one little door key so my pockets are light. But uh, we're actually going to a, a club, not like a club club, but a it'll a yacht club for lunch. Australia's a little bit weird. You've got to have ID for this sort of thing, not because of your age, but because they've got to mark which address you've come from. So I'm like, all right, I'll take my wallet. It's got the air tag in it. So we go for about a two and a half K walk to the Yacht Club and I've got my wallet with me and Charlotte's with me. Her wallet's got the air tag. We go to the Yacht Club, we have lunch, we're walking back and Charlotte gets this notice. And I've tweeted this. It says, Troy, and this is what shown on her watch where she first saw it. Troy Hunt's air tag found moving with you. The location of this air tag can be seen by Troy Hunt. Okay, that's, that's kind of cool. So that was on her watch, and then we drilled down on the phone, and the phone says, your location can be seen by the owner of this AirTag. The AirTag may be attached to an item you are borrowing. If this AirTag is not familiar to you, you can disable it and stop sharing your location. Which is kind of interesting, because this is now saying you can disable the other person's tracking device. Now, if I was stalking her, that makes sense. If she was stealing my bike, <laughs> it makes less sense. Now, people are actually asked a question in response to this, and the pennies only just dropped. Um, Charlotte is part of my family as defined by Apple. So you know how you can have a family and you can have, uh, for example, you can have a partner and then you can have children, all sort of things. So she is part of my family. Now, the alert on her watch is coming up from the Find My app. Now, in the Find My app, we can find each other because we share our location. We can also find our devices so that if we're out together and she loses her iPhone or someone steals it, I can find it with my iPhone. Hmm. So Find My has a concept of us being a family and being able to see each other's details. So Find My is reporting my name. On the next screen, where it's just her iPhone, this does not report my name anywhere. And I think what's relevant about this is um, when we look at Find My... That has the concept of family, so that can report my name without being a privacy violation. When we look at what she's seeing on her phone, this is not reporting her, uh, my name anywhere. Now, people asked the question, they said, how can she see your name? Is it due to her being as part of your family? What if you're like, what if you're sitting on a bus and someone else is on the bus with an air tag? Will it broadcast their name, which is then a privacy issue? I would say based on the images here, the answer is no, it doesn't look like it will do it. Although what I think is interesting here is it says um, you can disable it and stop sharing your location. What if you are sitting on a bus and you disable someone else's air tag? That's an interesting question. And then on the next screen, and this is back in Find My, 
I'd love someone to answer this. Like, where is the distinction between what you see as a member of someone's family versus what you see as a stranger? On the next screen, we've then got a map, and it shows when it starts tracking. Uh, And incidentally, it says, first seen at 1.32. Now, we met friends for lunch at midday, so we left at 11.30. We walked together all the way down to the Yacht Club, sat there, had lunch, started walking back and about half or maybe a third of the way home here at 132 that's when it says it was first seen so obviously there are thresholds in the air tag in terms of when it triggers an alert about tracking now from memory apple has said they're not going to talk about what the thresholds are or what needs to be observed in order to raise the warning which which kind of makes sense because it could be used by people who want to disable my ability to find my bike if it gets stolen. Anyway, I just found that really interesting. I, I do think it's a, it's a cool technology. There's obviously thought gone into the privacy side of it as well. Okay. So looking at the comments here. Robin's there. G'day, Robin. Long time. <laughs> long time they see. It's probably going to be a long time till they see you too. I'm going to talk about uh, COVID next, actually, and our ability to travel and everything. Um Burton, you counted the weeks, mate, 52 weeks, uh, yeah, times five years, because as uh, Mikhail said, there is just a little over 52 weeks in a year, so I will do something uh, when I get to two weeks from now, which will be the, the year, five years rather. All right, next up, I, I posted a thread around COVID, and I, I don't want to continually talk about the thing that everyone's continually talking about, other than the fact that I have people continually reaching out from overseas going, oh, gee, really sorry about Australia. It looks really messed up and everything. It's like, what? Now, I had a friend. I'll, uh, I won't tell you who he is, but what he said here, he said uh, he reached out. Uh, someone I know, someone from Europe, he says, how are you doing? I hear strange things about Australia, and I want to be sure you are safe and well. I've had other people on Twitter talk about how bad it is in australia they're normally not people from australia <laughs> i think it's several occasions where it's like well they're they're very right-leaning american voters put it that way uh, about all the freedoms and things that are gone and what a mess it is and how terrible it all is and i'm just going i remember saying to one of them it's like well here's what i'm saying what are you seeing on the ground in australia knowing that they're not on the ground in australia so look here's a thread and let me explain what it looks like because I, I just think it's there's a lot of misrepresentation overseas uh, keeping in mind as well I started out this video today saying I'm going to finish this and then I'm going to go down and get on my boat boat and I'm going to go wakeboarding with friends we're going to go to a restaurant first and sit there without masks and have a nice little breakfast and some coffee and and the sun's shining and it's a beautiful day like it is really really nice here I'm trying to say it without sounding really obnoxious now anyway thread so Basically, the first thing I've got to remember is that Australia is really, really big. If you haven't been here before and you're not aware of just how big it is, it probably comes as a shock. So, And I did go and check all of my stats just to be really, really careful here as well. So we're about half as big again as Europe. We're just a little bit smaller than continental USA, but we only have 25 million people. So we're a massive, massive place that's sparsely populated with a few cities that have a lot of people in them. This is the sixth largest city in the country. We have about 600,000 people here. I was just in Darwin, which is the capital city of the Northern Territory, one of our states and territories. We don't have a lot of them. And I think their population was about 125,000 people and 125,000 crocodiles as well. Different story. So 
Anyway, very, very sparsely populated. Now, it was very easy for the Oz government, in the same way it was very easy for the New Zealand government, just to go, nobody else is coming in, shut the borders, or at least have very, very tight controls on it. And then when people do come in, they're pretty much only coming in by aeroplane now. Very, very early on, there were still some cruise ships out there, and it was a mess in terms of the amount of COVID that got in. But certainly since the middle of last year, People have only been coming in by aeroplanes and they go straight into quarantine. So we did a very good job as a country of putting a lid on it, not because our government is awesome. In many ways, they're just as shit as all the other ones, but because we've got the borders and the physical distance to be able to do it. So we've had this really good run of it. And there there were exceptions. Uh, Victoria, in particular, was a bit of a mess around June-ish last year. So they had a big outbreak there. Uh, and when I say big outbreak, I think they got up to about 500-something cases a day at peak in a state that's got, I think, roughly about 8 million people in it. Um, they got on top of that. They literally eradicated community transmission and got back to zero cases a day. Now, as the rest of the world has started vaccine rollouts, we've been down here going, oh, everything's pretty nice. You know, like we don't have to rush too much. And inevitably, we've been much slower than the rest of the world to get vaccinated. And then we got through to about June this year. And of course, now we've got Delta variant as well, which has been wreaking havoc across the world. And then we started getting traction with Delta variant in New South Wales, which is the state that begins 30 kilometres south of here. That's also the state that has Sydney in, also around about 8 million-ish people in the state. Now, just for context as well, that state, I think, is about twice the size of the UK. So it's, you know, it's still, it's one of our smaller states, but it's still big. So that started getting traction to the point where it was like, okay, dozens of cases a day, hundreds of cases a day. We're now up to, in New South Wales, hovering between 1,400 and 1,500 cases a day. Sydney's been in a pretty hard lockdown. Most of the state has been locked down. They're just starting to come out of it a little bit in some areas uh, as of, I think, midnight tonight. So that's been really hard. And the borders internally have been hard closed. We were meant to be going to the snow a couple of weeks ago. We ended up going the other way to where all the crocodiles were, which was epic. So you've got this real sort of dichotomy where it's, it's like, if I go that way, everything's really hard locked down. And if I keep going, eight-hour drive down to Sydney, eight, nine-hour drive down to Sydney, depending on the car, you uh, you really can't do very much at all. You are locked in your home, uh, uh, save for essential reasons, and then five-kilometre radius and things like that. But then here, everything is almost normal. You have to check in when you go to different places. Uh, I had a parent-teacher interview for my daughter yesterday. I had to wear a mask. Incidentally, like if you're a school doing parent-teacher interviews with masks, for God's sake, do it via Zoom. So much expression gets lost when you're using a mask and you're trying to talk about your children's development. Zoom, please. (laughs) Then I can stay here and do it. Anyway, I digress. Uh, We have to wear a mask if we're in an indoor space. Uh... There's been lots of discussion about that being dropped in Queensland, but we're just not. There's just too many times where there's just like one case somewhere, uh, and it's a, it's always a truckie. You know, a truckie comes in from interstate. But for the most part, it's normal, and it doesn't really have any impact on the things we do in our daily life here. So, for the people reaching out, going, "Are you okay?" It's like, "Yeah, we're fine. Look, it is life as normal here. There's really no tangible impact." So, going through the thread here. Uh, I included a little embedded video here when we were in Darwin a couple of weeks ago. As soon as we left the airport, 
the only reminder whatsoever of COVID was check-in barcodes in various places. Absolutely no masks anywhere. Frankly, no one even talking about it. Uh, and particularly once we got to Kakadu and there was no internet, we just forgot about it for like three days. All right, so go through the thread. Things are pretty normal here. Now, when we look at our state, so we've got 5.2 million people in this state. Now, this is a state that's twice the size of Texas. Just so I know Americans think Texas is big. It's relative. It's not our biggest state either. 5.2 million people. 13 people have been hospitalized since day one. 13 since day one. Seven deaths. And there's only been one since April last year. And of course, that was a case where there was underlying conditions and so on and so forth. So we've had it exceptionally good. So when people are seeing these headlines, they're like, oh, gee, I hope everything's okay over there. Or even for us here as Aussies, when we're looking at it going, gee, it's a bit shit at the moment. It's like, yeah, but you're not dead. Like, I understand the lockdown is bad, but being dead is even worse. And we've had very, very little incidence of people being dead. Even in the current outbreak now, which is relatively terrible, and I use that caveat because when you look at the figures in other places, you realize how relative it is. Anyway, so moving on. Um, Vaccinations. So in Queensland at the moment, we've got 36% of people double jabbed, including Charlotte and I, thank you very much. And at this rate, it's going to be December before we hit 80%. 80% is what our government is indicating as one of the key milestones. In fact, they're indicating 70% and 80% are the two big numbers. Now, for New South Wales down here, they're saying once you get to 70%, you'll start to get a whole bunch of freedoms back for people that have been vaccinated, which includes things like gyms and restaurants and this sort of thing. And you can just see that the next big drama here is going to be vaccination passports and well, what if you're not vaccinated or what if you can't be vaccinated? What if you're just an anti-vaxxer? Well, I won't get into what I think about them. So we're going to be quite some time away here, but well and truly before Christmas, based on the current rate, which of course is also dependent on people wanting to be vaccinated and also dependent on supply. So when we get to the southern states, what's the nuts and bolts here? It's a little bit weird. Like I've got an image in here of the border. Again, only 30 kilometers away, somewhere that we'd often go down to just for a coffee or a wander around. And there's literally bollards down the middle of the street and people coming on either side of the bollards to meet each other. Uh, and like in Father's Day, then just reaching across the bollards and, you know, dad's having to be in New South Wales because he runs a coffee shop and mum's on Queensland side because that's where the kids go to school. I heard this scenario on the radio just yesterday and they're reaching across, giving each other a hug. I'm not sure that that really achieves the objective, but then again, the border does stop people en masse coming from one side to the other or the border, hard border. Now, every time we... We sort of see things about protests. Um, so there have been some protests in Sydney and Melbourne in particular, uh, as there have been in many other parts of the world. And there have also been threats of truckies shutting down the nation. I just remember seeing videos a few weeks ago. It's like, Australia doesn't work if there's no truckies. We'll just shut down the country and then they'll have to reopen the borders. Yeah, that didn't work. Like, honestly, I, I, I don't think I even heard it on the news, but seeing these videos of like vigilante justice warriors going, yeah, we're going to shut down the country because you can't control our movements, just hasn't happened. And the protests we've had, other than a man punching a horse, true story, Google it, police horse, it just really hasn't been newsworthy at all. Uh, and then a bunch of these people have been tracked down and charged. So we are 
at the point where we'll get to 80% double vaxxed in New South Wales by the end of next month. I think when I put the, the countdown uh, into the calendar, it came out at like the 1st of November. So we're getting very close to getting to the points which the government has indicated a lot of freedoms will come back to people. I've said here, international commentary feels a lot like bushfires and shark attacks. South Australia will be burning and friends will contact me. And I'll be like, yeah, well, that's 2,000 kilometres away. Sharks? Front page news in Norway. Charlotte keeps telling me this. She's like, every time there's a shark attack in Australia, it's the front page news in Norway. There have been 237 fatal shark attacks in Australia since 1791. <laughs> so it's like, well, you know, we've had, what's that, like 220, 30 years worth of tracking data and 237, let's say it's just one a year. So one person a year has been eaten by a shark. Now, it's not good to be eaten by a shark. Don't get me wrong. Like, this is not a good outcome. But if your odds are in a country of 25 million people and one of them a year gets picked off by a shark, well, like, like why are we even talking about this? The same reason why are we even talking about COVID lockdowns and things in Australia is uh, somehow impactful in any meaningful way in the broader sense of what's happening. You know what's impactful in Australia this year? A lot of people died on motorbikes. We've had a massive uptick of people dying on motorbikes, like multiple people a month sort of thing. That's much more newsworthy. So final bit of perspective here. I said, uh, let's pick Norway as an example, given it's Charlotte's home and we often speak to people there and I've spent a lot of time there and it's familiar. Since day one of the pandemic, there have been 171,000 cases in Norway and 826 deaths. There's a country of 5 million people, only 20% the population of Australia. Now, worldwide or Australia-wide here, we've had 66,000 cases. So we've had about a third of the cases of a country that's got 20% of the population. Now, I'd say that's like a 15-fold difference, just roughly off the top of my head. We've had slightly more deaths. We've had 28% more deaths, but we've got 500% more population. So you see what I mean here? It's like when you look at the numbers, and then I pulled some data here from Our World in Data, which is interesting, which is sort of showing the total confirmed cases per million. So Australia has had 2,500 confirmed cases per million. Norway has had 30,000 confirmed cases per million. The US has had 120,000 confirmed cases per million. That's 50 times more than Australia. The UK, 100,000 confirmed cases per million. We're having an uptick now, but perspective, people. Come on, please. All right, I'm conscious of time. <laughs> and I have a look at the notes, the comments in here. Um, Pimdu says there have been reports of AirTags protocol being able to send data over the internet via nearby devices. Yeah, that's kind of the point because it will connect to other Apple phones and send data so that everybody's phone becomes a beacon. Um, Stephen says, uh, interesting way they've tried to get the usage versus the privacy balance. I agree. I think it's a, it, it feels like a very, a very reasonable balance under the circumstances. I'm sure it will change over time as well. It always does. Um, Stephen says, I still have to convince my English friends that we're not all convicts, criminals in Australia. Why bother trying to convince people? Run with it, man. Own it. Uh, Mikhail says, you're just UK rejects. Yeah. I, in fact, 
I sent someone, I don't think it was even a response to this thread, but someone the other day going, uh, someone in the UK saying, our politicians are idiots. And I'm like, yeah, they sent us here. Like, here's a photo of you know, the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. Um, yes, yes, they, yes, they're idiots. Uh, all right, moving on, because i gotta, I got to meet friends in about 15 minutes for my early Friday morning wakeboard. Uh, Czech Republic is on Have I Been Pwned. This is the government there now having full and free access to the APIs on Have I Been Pwned to be able to query their government domain. So big thanks to them. I think that was the 27th government. Zip through that one really quickly. Final thing that I did want to spend more time talking about, at least five minutes anyway, is my blog post on biometrics. Now, I have always found it fascinating that when we talk about biometrics, people have often said, Something to the effect of don't use biometrics because if someone gets your fingerprint, you can't change it. Well, first of all, you can. It's just, it's not pleasant. I have Googled some of the ways to change your fingerprints and they all involve uh, either heat or sharp things or very quickly moving things. And none of those three things sounds very pleasant. So you can, not fun. Possibly harder if it's your face, because, I mean, the interesting thing here is you're using your face for authentication. If you grow a beard, face ID still works. Uh, you could disfigure your... We're going down a rabbit hole. Point is here, for all intents and purposes, you don't really change your biometric attributes. But that statement, if your biometric attribute gets leaked, then you can't change it, is misleading because it implies that your biometric attributes are usable in the same way as a password is usable. So here's how to log into someone's account with their password if you know it. You take the password and you put it in the password field. Job done. <laughs> like that is it. By comparison, let's talk about what's involved when we're discussing biometrics. So if someone gets your fingerprint or someone gets your face, we've all got photos of our faces out there in one place or another. What's required? And I broke this down into multiple parts because I think we need to think about this in very sort of segmented logical ways. First of all, you've got to obtain a usable biometric attribute. Now, if that's face, maybe that is a photo. If it is a fingerprint, maybe you lift that off a glass. I've got a bit of James Bond in here. It is a lot harder to obtain a usable biometric attribute than what it is to obtain a password. Now, when I say usable, to obtain the print, you're going to need to have physical presence, but there are cases where a photo alone has been sufficient. Uh, in fact, one of the ones I found was, I think it was someone in Carl's Computer Club in Germany, because they do a lot of cool stuff with this, took a photo of a politician's finger. Face is a lot harder because all of the modern implementations of facial recognition, phone, for example, if using Windows alone with a sufficiently enabled camera, are not just an image. In this case, there's a dot projector broadcasts 30,000 dots onto your face, and then it uses an IR sensor as well to look at your face. It needs more than just a face, more than just a picture of a face. So obtaining something usable is a very, very different value proposition to obtaining a password. Using it is the next thing. We know how to use a password. My kids know how to use a password. If they know what my password is, they can immediately go and enter it somewhere. If they have the world's most perfect print of my hand, of my fingers, what are they got to do? Do they go and buy gummy bears? Do they melt them down? Do they do what James Bond did in Diamonds Are Forever, where they print 
prosthetic fingerprints, which then go over your own fingers. I guess it depends on what attribute you have and how sophisticated you are. But all of those things are a lot harder than entering a password into a field. Verifying. How do you build a system that verifies a password? Well, you say, does the password and storage match the one that's just been provided? If it's hashed, does the hash and storage match the one that's been provided? If it's hashed and salted, after we salt the password and hash it, does it match the one in storage? Like, it's easy. How do you verify that a fingerprint is the same? In Diamonds of Forever, it was eyeballed. Yeah, these two things look the same. That's fine. That's not how the fingerprint reader on my desk here works. I don't know exactly how it works, but I know it's not just looking at something with an eyeball. It has a lot more fidelity than that. I've got a better idea how Face ID works because I wrote a blog post on it four years ago when it launched and I gave it a whole bunch of research. And it does require things like infrared imaging and the dot projector and the camera. It's a much more sophisticated value proposition just comparing two strings. So very, very different things. And then, of course, there's a whole bit about who your adversary actually is. And this is one of the big points I made. My adversary, primary adversary, my adversary with the most opportunity is my kids. <laughs> They're the ones that are most likely to... And even still, like they'll pick my phone up and they'll take selfies of themselves and I'm not there or something like that. But that's all they can do. They can't log into the phone. If they know my PIN, it's easy. They could discover my pin in many different ways, not least of which is observing me entering it. Because one day I'm going to be sitting there on the couch, chilled out, and not realize that they're standing right behind me and they see the pin being entered. As far as I know, my kids don't know the pin to my phone. But they see me unlock it all the time because I unlock it with my face. The NSA may be able to do this. NSA may be able to bypass fingerprints may be able to bypass Face ID. Again, it's a much more complex construct, Face ID. But am I worried about the NSA? Well, I'm worried about them in some regards, but are they the ones that I'm worried about getting into my phone? And if we're being objective about this, are they going to be more likely to unlock my phone with a biometric as opposed to a pin? Because they could observe me entering the pin. Or as I've said here with the... XKCD comic, do they just beat me with a rubber hose until I enter my pin into the phone? Because there's always that risk as well. Of course, I could just fake enter it and then get it wrong 10 times and the phone self-erases. Do enable that setting on your phone, particularly if you're backing up to cloud the whole time and you can just restore to a new device anyway. It's cool. Other story. So anyway, I'm going to move on from that and just look at the comments before I wrap up here. Burton, would you like to travel again internationally this year? If allowed, there is absolutely no chance whatsoever we're going to be able to travel internationally this year. Would I like to? Yes, I would love to be able to go back to Norway with Charlotte and spend time there with her and spend time there with the kids as well. But there is absolutely no chance of that happening uh, from Australia this year. We hope that early next year there'll be an opportunity, but it's really, really clear. It's just not going to happen this year. And that's hard for for Charlotte to hear as well, because it goes the other way too. Her family can't come out here. She saw them in Feb last year, said, see you soon, I'm going to Australia. Now here we are. So it's going to be at least two years for her. From Feb last year, that is. Someone here says, I stumbled upon a problem using a Heaven Bank website. I'm able to find info about my leaked password, which was leaked. I only have passwords 
that I have. <laughs> you can only search for passwords that I have. There's lots of passwords out there that have been leaked that I then have not gained access to. Uh, or they've been cryptographically hashed and I need plain text ones to kind of have I been pwned. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, Stephen Jones, Spaceballs12345 code comes to mind. I'm not sure if Mitch, you were talking about your kids don't watch those videos in response to that. But yes, my kids have definitely watched Spaceballs and they are aware of that. Final one here. Burton says, in Tomorrow Never Dies, QBranch created a phone that scanned the fingerprint from the safe and the fingerprint displayed on the phone. Double and flipped the phone display on a safe reader to unlock I have seen many cool things on James Bond. I really liked the Lotus Elise that Roger Moore drove that went underwater as a submarine. Was that? No. What was that? Was it? I can't even remember which one that was. Anyway, the White Lotus Elise. I like that, but it's not real in the same way as a lot of these bypasses are, are either not real or they're, they're so caveated and so specific to very, very certain circumstances that they are not your real world threat. On that note, I have to go because I'm going to go and uh, have a nice morning out, out on the water, have a bit of a wakeboard. I will post some photos because it's going to look awesome. I looked out just before, perfectly clear day. Again, we're heading for 27C in the beginning of our spring, which is pretty cool. So I'm going to go and enjoy that. Thank you very much for watching. I'll do this again next week later on in the day. See you, folks.